The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Central City Citizen, a PoppyJewelerRadio.com original series. Poppy Jeweler Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, February 9th, 2023, and I'm your host, Professor X. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's The Flash. Please welcome my co-host, Jeffrey Welcome Roos. back, Central City. Happy New Year. I, I, it's been a long time, but it's great to have everyone back with us. In terms of the show, it's only been a week, but in terms of the, uh, the real world, boy, it does seem like it's been a lifetime. Uh, since the show was was here, and it was good that we had that little uh, recap uh, off the top of the episode. But anyway, here's the official synopsis of the episode. Barry creates a map book to guide him and Iris through their future in order to keep her safe, but the results are not what he expected. Instead, they relive the same day over and over again. Joe has a heart-to-heart with Cecile. A new big bad is introduced to Team Flash, and friends and foes, old and new, begin to descend on Central City. Uh, now, before we get into the episode, uh, let's address the elephant in the room. This is the final season of The Flash. Fortunately, the writers knew this was coming, so they were able to craft a final season, unlike other shows that either ended badly or ended on cliffhangers, which was really disappointing for people who had invested you know, time and, and uh, you know, attention on these shows. And it's a moment to take stock because this is really the end of the Arrowverse, a bizarre decade-long experiment in genre TV, essentially taking over most of a broadcast TV network for a period of, as I say, almost 10 years. And we shouldn't ignore how important The Flash was. I would argue Arrow was not the start of the Arrowverse. Flash was. Why? Because Flash was the first and most successful spinoff. If Flash had stumbled, we would not have had the rest of the other Arrowverse shows like Legends, Black Lightning, Batwoman. So kudos to Flash for paving the way for nearly a decade of superhero TV shows and recap podcasts. Uh, That said, Jeff, what are you hoping for in this final season? Okay, that's a big question, um, but listeners of this podcast know exactly what I want to see because I've, I sort of referenced this uh, at, during our season finale recording last year because I said, I feel like this is going to be the final one. Um, we didn't know. I'm trying to remember. Did we know that it was going to be? No, we didn't. No, that we came didn't. Out we of found the out afterwards. Yeah. Yes. So for me, I hope because they know that they are are able to craft a successful final season that has callbacks to everything that made The Flash the great and fun show that it was, especially during the highest of the highs. For me, the standard bearer of Arrowverse final seasons is Arrow. And I know a lot of people sort of give the final season of Arrow a little bit of flack, because let's be real, a lot of it was set up for the Crisis mega event. So I understand that, but that season, it was a short season, kind of like how this one's a shorter season than usual. 
it was able to give so many great callbacks to everything that made Arrow great. Once again, you know, reliving or at least trying to recapture some of the highest of the highs. There were incredible guest stars that returned. So my hope is that The Flash gets something like that, that this season. And on top of that, this really is the end of the Arrowverse. And one of the things that I said, uh, that I remember saying specifically, was that I hope that the showrunner, Eric Wallace, understood the gravity of this being truly the final Arrowverse show. Because uh, at the end of last season, over on Superman and Lois, it was officially confirmed that that takes place in an alternate universe. It's not, you know, it's the multiverse, so it's a different Earth. It's not the same Earth that all of these other shows have been on. So this show, with it ending, it truly is the end of the Arrowverse. So my hope was that Eric Wallace would understand that and that he took that to heart. And he basically also tried to not just wrap up the Flash this season, but sort of wrap up the Arrowverse in a sense, you know, give the fans, those that tuned in week after week for a decade, a little bit of closure with some of their favorite characters throughout, um, you know, this, this multi-show universe. Based off of what we've heard, it seems like he took that to heart. Um, at the end of last season, he did a bunch of interviews where he was basically like, well, I don't really know if I want to, you know, delve into some of the other shows and then wrap things up and that sort of thing. And I don't know if I'm going to have the time for that. It seems like maybe he understood the gravity of the situation. And he. it seems like he's making time for everything. I haven't heard about the Pierces. Uh, that's sort of my hope. Uh, but everything else, I'm really excited about. So, um, so yeah, for me, I just want the series to end on a high note. I want a little bit of a happy ending for everybody at the end of this. Uh, of course, you know, with the door open, you know, so that we know that they're still going to have these fantastical adventures, even though it's not going to be uh, seen by us. But um, I do have a better hope for this final season than I did uh, maybe at the end of last season, thinking that this could potentially be a final season. Just because, as, as you kind of referenced, Professor, we have seen other shows end. And, uh, you know, we had something really decent with how uh, Batwoman ended. You know, they wrote it in a satisfying way so that it wrapped up the major arcs and then it kind of teased what could happen. And then we had, in my opinion, just a sucky cliffhanger with the Legends, and, and which was a little bit disappointing just because it would have been nice to have a little bit more closure. Supergirl, I mean, that one was kind of okay in a sense. Black Lightning was a little bit of a mess because they didn't find out until, you know, the season was getting close to being wrapped that they were ending. And, and of course, I already mentioned the standard bearer, in my opinion, was Arrow. So if we can get something to the level of Arrow this season on The Flash with great callbacks and uh, incredible guest stars, I think I'll be satisfied. I don't know if you have any high hopes or, or dreams or wishes for this final season, Professor. 
Well, I think you know I, I did have you know uh, some hopes that I had, and, and honestly, I think most of them have been addressed. Just in terms of, unfortunately, we've seen you know spoilers and stuff. One of the things that I absolutely wanted was an increased focus on the rogues. Uh, the rogues are such an integral part of Flash comics. You know, the, the rogues gallery for the Flash is every bit as important as Batman's villains. Um, but they're a much more colorful, interesting, and nuanced lot. Uh, and it does seem, you know, with the introduction of a new Captain Boomerang in this episode, spoilers, uh, that uh, that we are, uh, you know, restoring that. And I did see a, a backstage picture in which, uh, you know, there were it was, you know, Grant Gustin with uh, with three of the uh, uh, the rogues just hanging out, having fun, and Goldface is coming back. So it does seem to me like there's going to be a focus on the central city uh and, you know obviously we're going to have a big bad and we're going to have the arc but instead of being the idea that oh every week we'll introduce a brand new meta i think we're going to get you know an increased focus uh on our uh on the, the classic uh or new takes on the classic flash rogues which is something i like um you know the idea of bring back uh you know you know as soon as i heard it was last i said or as soon as I heard it was the last uh, season, I said, well, Amel's got to come back somehow. And, you know, we've got a character who routinely time travels, so that's not inconceivable. But also the fact that, uh, you know, Kid Flash is coming back. Uh, we're getting some crossovers from the other shows. Uh, and Eric Wallace, actually, uh, you know, I, I think he does have an appreciation that this is, you know, not just the end of Flash, but the end of the Arrowverse. Uh, he has said that, you know, he's not going to, you know, uh, touch what happened uh, at the end of Legends of Tomorrow, which is a shame. Because all you'd have to do is one scene where Barry races into frame. Whoosh! Candace looks up. Hey, hon, where have you been? Oh, just keep, uh, breaking legends out of jail. Those crazy knuckleheads. Uh, anyway, so what's for dinner? That's all you would need. That would wrap it up and, you know, just very fixed it. You know, they're they're free now. Um, uh, and I still kind of hold out hopes. One thing, and it's interesting because we have seen, you know, pretty much all the names that you would expect and hope to see in the final season. Um, but Wallace has said there is one that, that has still a secret. In the final episode, and he says it's going to be a really big deal. And I can't. I was until you were talking. I couldn't think of anyone it could be that would be a big deal that we haven't already heard is coming back, unless it's Tom Cavanaugh in some form or another. Uh, but I'm thinking uh, Supergirl, Melissa Benoist. Yeah, because oh, we that haven't. Would be she, nice. That uh, there, there was always that great connection between uh, Gustin and Benoist, between uh, Flash and Supergirl. It was the, really the first crossover, aside from Barry. You know, uh, you know, hanging out with uh, with Oliver. Uh, you know, and they're, they're super friends, their musical uh, episode, um, uh, you know, so so that would that would that would hit me in the feels if we find a way to uh, bring her back. Uh, but aside from that, I'm I'm fairly confident in Eric Wallace. I think he's got a, a great handle on the character and the, on the show, and I think they're going to give it a good, uh, good finale. But uh, everything I've heard, it's unfortunate in a way, you know, with the spoilers. Um, I managed to avoid the spoilers actually in. Uh, uh, and I don't know whether this is just, you know, the, the different uh, social media world we're living in now. But I remember the the final season of Arrow. I managed to avoid, you know, most of the spoilers. You know, things were actually taking me by surprise. Um, but now it seems like you know, what is there to find out? We already know who's going to be showing up. We're seeing behind the scenes photos. It just it kind of spoils things a little bit, which I'll talk about in this episode. Yeah. Um, Although I will say um, just thinking about things right now, because you referenced uh, Eric Wallace said something hasn't leaked and, and that sort of thing. I'm thinking it might actually be Cisco because he has oh, not been announced. Oh, good point. Yes. Yeah, and Cisco has to. Yeah. No, you're right. That's that's a better fit than uh, than Moist. Yeah, and and uh, and and I guess I just sort of assumed that there's no earthly way it can't happen. Although interestingly, I did see an interview with uh, uh, with uh, God, I can't even Carlos Valdez, uh, in which he said that uh, you know he he hadn't heard anything about coming back and and was saying, hey, call me. Um, but of course we've often seen, you know, uh, actors, uh, playing coy about these things. So we shall mm -hmm. see. 
Anyway, this episode happens with, opens with Team Flash dealing with Tar Pit threatening Central City. The team is working seamlessly, uh, including Frost. Hmm, interesting. It soon becomes clear that this isn't a real battle. Barry's having a nightmare. Frost tells Barry that he couldn't protect her. Allegra and Chester tell him that he can't save them. One by one, everyone's eyes flash with red lightning. They scream in pain and fall, including Iris, who tells Barry he can't protect her. Barry wakes up at home in his own bed in a cold sweat. Jeff, nothing new in a fake-out opening on The Flash, but were you taken in at all? Uh, and what did you think of the opening scene? I was taken in until I saw Killer Frost, and then I was like, okay, this is probably a dream. Um, holy CGI, Flashman. Uh, that was an interesting creation, is all I will say. It, it was It was interesting. Um, but everything else was interesting in a good way. Uh, I did enjoy everyone calling Barry out. I mean, let's be real. This has been sort of like a recurring fear of Barry's ever since the series launched, you know, failing people. Um, you know, his motto is not, you know, you failed the city, but I feel like within himself, uh, his whole thing is, you know, I don't want to fail my people, and seeing his worst fears sort of come to life and having, you know, these individuals that care about him calling him out on that was incredibly powerful to see. Um, you know, unfortunately, based off of just what we knew before the season, I was like, okay, this has to involve the big bad in some weird way, even though, you know, they're not tying into it. That's the only thing that made sense to me, and, and I feel like I like a thousand percent got confirmation about that at the end of the episode. Well, and, and um, you know, I was going to mention this later, but you've given me such a great segue. Um, I think this is going to be the big meta narrative of the whole season is going to be Barry having to come to grips with the fact that he can't save everyone because Barry has never really dealt with that. You know, it's almost like in a Star Trek sense, the, the Kobayashi Maru test, you know, to, to realize that sometimes you're going to lose, that you can't always win. Uh, and you have to, find a way to deal with that i'm hoping it doesn't mean you know a member of the team dying or anything like that but i think that you know the 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 resolution to this long-term arc uh at the end of of the series will be barry realizing that hey ultimately i'm just one guy i'm a guy who can run really fast um but i can't save everyone and uh and and i think that you know that that's something he has to understand he has to accept before he can you know move on with the rest of his life uh, and it was something that was actually referenced in this, that, you know, with Barry and Iris talking about how, you know, their life really hasn't progressed. They've sort of been stalled mm -hmm. because of the whole Flash thing. And and I have a, a gut feeling that that's going to be the, the big emotional arc for Barry uh, this season. I like that, actually. Uh, uh, the next morning, Barry and Iris wake up. It's been a week since the events of the season eight finale, and Iris has to head to work for the first time uh, since then. Barry tells her she's going to have a big day at CCC Media. Hmm, how do you know that? And tells her to just say yes before racing off. At Star Labs, Joe is working with Cecile on her newly amplified powers, specifically her new telekinesis, but it isn't going especially well. Uh, some nice comic moments from uh, from Cecile. Uh, Joe seems a little more worried than usual. Uh, it's not unusual to see Joe worry, but it seemed like they were drawing a little more attention to it than usual. So, Jeff, how would you like the show picked up? How would you like the way the show picked up after the last season? We've got the the one week. Um, and, you know, sort of, you know, everything's, you know, pretty much continuing on. Uh, and did you catch the significance of Joe's concerns? I did not mind the one week time jump. I think we're more used to, you know, like the three months, six months, you know, the, the show sort of like 
trying to catch up in quote-unquote real time and that sort of thing. But I, I actually enjoyed that we're still a week after everything that happened. Because let's be honest, so much has happened to these people that we do need a chance for them to really cope with what has happened. And in particular, I know that we've discussed in the past, Iris has gone through a lot. So I really need some sort of, um, you know, storyline where she kind of um, went into, or at least I really wanted a storyline where she really went into what has happened to her and her, you know, trying to navigate life uh, post everything that's happened to her. And we did see a little bit of that post the Mirrorverse, but, uh, you know, some big stuff happened last season that I just wanted to get um, Iris's take on, like, her, her sort of just mental state after the time sickness. So I'm glad that we didn't get an extended breather that we're pretty much picking up a week after everything that's happened. Uh, so, so that was refreshing, at least I would say. As far as Joe... I was like, oh, Joe's probably really worried because he also has to go film a pilot for NBC. And Which so, got picked up. <laughs> right, and so he's got a lot of stuff on his mind, and that's what's distracting him. But no, um, I mean, clearly when Cecile got the little, I don't even know what you want to call it, the reverberation noises, the little trilling that we would hear whenever she senses something, I was like, okay, Clearly, Joe is going through some stuff because Jesse L. Martin is giving us the worried face. Cecile heard the the audio effect that we hear. So something is going down. Um, it surprised me. I won't get into it because we're not there yet. But it, it did surprise me where this storyline went. But I was really invested because, I mean, we love Papa Joe. And uh, I, I will say it was a little sad to not see him in the opening credits and, and just to see him relegated to an on-screen credit of special guest star. Um, so that was a little sad. But, uh, but yeah, I was, I was completely invested in the storyline. I had completely forgotten that uh, one of the other metas had said that Cecile was, like, the most powerful meta on Earth. I kind of... Yeah, I'd forgotten that, too. Yeah, like, I think when we heard it originally, I thought it was, like, hyperbolic. You know, it was just, you know, like a bold statement to say to Cecile, but because they actually replayed it and we saw sort of like Cecile, you know, get that moment of like with great power comes great responsibility and all that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, so they really are like boosting. I'm going to say boosting because I'm not going to use the other word that they've been saying, but they're like boosting her up a lot, which is interesting. I still don't fully know where this is going. I don't know if she has like a comic book counterpart. But I don't believe she does. She does? I don't believe so, no. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so this is kind of like an X factor that's going to be really interesting to see as the season progresses. Yeah, um uh, one thing, you know, that you know I I was, you know, saying my my earlier uh, you know, bold prediction about the long-term arc. My other bold prediction, uh, you know, flowing out of what you were talking about with with Iris, is that if you think about it, how many times in this episode did I mention that, you know, she finds out she's pregnant in three months' time? Three months' time is 12 or 13 weeks. How many episodes do we have in this season? Uh, what will we find out at the end of the last episode? Very unpregnant. I actually like that, to be quite honest. I'd much rather that. Unfortunately, it's, it's almost exactly the same last line of uh, Gilmore Girls. Mom oh. pregnant, but hey. Yes, yes, that's interesting. I actually like that versus like spending an entire season of a virus, you know, in a 
with a pillow, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or Iris, you know, having morning sickness or, or making jokes about it. I, I think, yeah. And, uh, well, we'll talk more about uh, predestination and free will in a moment. But anyway, I work Allegra gets Iris up to speed on things and reveals that Cat Grant, yay, Cat Grant, has reached out to the citizen with an offer to buy them out. All Iris has to do is just say yes. Allegra insists this is how Iris's media empire will begin, and she's excited, but Iris doesn't seem to be quite as excited, so she excuses herself. At the police station, Barry meets with Captain Kramer. He puts himself up for the director of the CSI lab, which is what she was going to ask him about. Uh, Barry seems to be reading her mind or knowing the future somehow, probably thanks to the map book. And then he reassures her that he can handle both the promotion and being the Flash. They get word about a transport downtown under attack, and off goes the Flash. Uh, Jeff, I think it's a bit unfortunate that the time loop plot line was spoiled before the episode aired. Uh, it would be nice to sort of like, you know, get it more gradually. Um, but we knew this was going to be a time loop, uh, you know, phenomenon uh, quite early on. So how'd you like the way that they got into it? Uh, I have to admit, I originally thought Barry's foreknowledge of what was happening with Kramer meant that this, that they were already in the loop and Barry hadn't realized it yet or hadn't consciously realized it yet. Uh, but instead, you know, ultimately, you know, I realized afterwards it was no, because he'd read it in his map book. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I liked how it started off. I thought it was a it was actually a unique, interesting spin on the time loop episode. We've seen so many of them across the Arrowverse, in particular on Legends. Like Legends, I would say, has like done a master class on how to do time loop episodes just because they've done it so many times over the course of that series' run. But I enjoyed the Flash's take on it. Um, yeah, everything like catching up with everyone at the start of it was really interesting. The Cat Grant shout-out was a welcome surprise if they do that with some of the other characters across the Arrowverse throughout this season i'm gonna be happy with that like had we not known about all of the guest stars are going to be appearing these simple call outs are wonderful just because it means the worlds are still living on and everyone is thriving and that sort of thing my hope because we haven't heard anything about the pierces from black lightning is that we just get some sort of line in a future episode like oh wasn't it great to go out with jeff and lynn last week you know it was great to see them in town or have dinner with them my hope is that we get some of that kind of stuff you know even if it's just exposition and a little line here and there just to let us know that everyone is doing fine elsewhere in the Arrowverse. Well, The Flash has always been one of the better shows about, you know, clearly establishing the links, even as you say, if it's just, you know, a shout out or a casual reference. Uh, and again, I think that comes down to, you know, Eric Wallace having a sense that, you know, it is part of a larger whole. Um, so I think that, uh, that I'm, I'm hoping, uh, like you, that we will get uh, more of that because, and again, you can, you can criticize that and say, oh, well, it's fan service. You know what? It's been nine years. The only people still watching the show are fans. So give us something for our nine years of service. The attack is being carried out by the new Captain Boomerang. Uh, they fight, but the Flash loses, and Mercer teleports away. Barry's strangely blasé about catching him, saying he'll catch him another day, and he goes off to have dinner with Iris. However, the device Mercer was messing with crackles with suspicious lightning. That night at home, Barry reveals his map book to Iris. He's created a record of everything that will happen to them in the future that he remembered thanks to you know their, his various jaunts through time, things that he found out from Gideon, etc., he tells Iris about his nightmare and says that he thinks the book will help keep everyone safe because he can see things coming before they happen. He also reveals Iris will be pregnant in three months and win two Pulitzers. Uh, Iris doesn't seem as thrilled as Barry. Uh, Jeff, 
This seems to be a revisiting of a theme of the Flash that we've talked about in the past. To what extent is the future fixed in place? And to what extent do we make our own future? And we have West Allen on opposite sides of the debate. So what did you think about the idea behind Barry's MacBook? And what did you think about Iris's reaction to it? Well, first of all, Iris wasn't excited about the Pulitzers because they just hand them out like, you know, candy on Halloween. In the, in the Arrowverse, yeah. yeah. Find me a journalist who doesn't have one. I believe Taylor uh, has one. Oh, she might have over the course of that week that we didn't see. Maybe. Um, okay, so the interesting thing about this episode for me, maybe it's because I'm a Gemini, but I completely understood both sides of the argument. Like, I understood why Barry loved the idea of his sort of woodchuck guidebook situation that, you know, he, he just knows when everything's coming, everything is going to be fine, because at the end of the day, at the end of it all, there is a wonderful happy ending with Iris where they have had all these years of wedded bliss. Both of them are okay, they're healthy, and they're living their best lives in the future. Like, I get that, but I also understood why Iris was completely hesitant to follow a guide to her life because she wants to be able to make the choices that she wants to make, that she feels are appropriate at the time, you know, that she gets to whatever crossroad she's going to come to. So, yeah, like I felt bad for Barry because clearly after all of these years, he has some serious trauma. Like he has seen shit go down. He has seen moments when he thought he was going to lose his wife forever. So I understand why he needs like some sort of security blanket, because that's basically what his little book was. It's a security blanket to know that everything is going to be fine. And Iris just wasn't seeing it that way. You know, she wants to be able to make her choices and, you know, under her terms, however she wants to make it. And, and she didn't like the idea of being controlled by destiny, basically. So uh, both of them, you know, on complete opposite sides of the coin, but both of them making complete sense in why they're justifying why they're on the opposite sides of the coin. And it's a theme that we'll, you know, return to uh, more overtly. Uh, as we go through it. Um, but as Barry and Iris sleep, there's weird energy that seeps around them. At least it wasn't green for once. And when the morning right. comes, it's Wednesday, February 1st, all over again. Though it takes both Barry and Iris a little while to figure that out. They go through the same steps as last time, but there are a few differences because Iris is experiencing deja vu. Uh, Barry messes up his meeting with Kramer. And this time, when Barry faces off with Captain Boomerang, the fight goes much worse with Barry dying. Except when he does, he and Iris both wake up back at home at the start of a new Wednesday, February 1st. They're in a time loop, which, of course, we all knew. Uh, so, Jeff, this is the first time we officially realize it's a time loop. You mentioned uh, before the fact that you know time loops are a, a very popular storytelling trope in the Arrowverse. Generally speaking, I love them because every time you go through, they're shot a little bit differently. They're played a little bit differently. And I love seeing how you know the director can you know uh, have that effect uh, on a scene and the actors can play it a little bit differently. So how did you like how uh, Barry and Iris played their Groundhog Day scenario? Personally, I thought it was a little... A little underdone. Mind you, this was just the first time through it. True, yes. Uh, although dying, you know, is always a shocking moment with the time loop. I like that when Barry died, like, they both instantly returned back to bed. So that, for us, was a huge clue that 
you know, there was a, a deeper connection in this time loop that both of them clearly had to figure out. Uh, yeah, uh, poor Barry, like, he had a no good, very bad day the second time around, just completely screwing up majorly throughout that time loop. Uh, that was almost like, well, I guess every scenario where you die is is the worst case scenario but that was like a really bad scenario for him that time around i liked the um the 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 shimmering effect of uh that sort of like purple-ish light that emitted in their room um it was neat it was a nice little effect that i thought was effective to just remind us that whatever that contraption was because we didn't know what it was at the time was clearly involved in the time loop. I also liked that they were both cognizant that they were in a time loop. Uh, there are times when, you know, the, the central person, it takes them sort of like a bit more of a, a moment to figure out that they're in a time loop. Or, you know, sometimes there are time loop rules where, you know, you kind of forget that you're in a time loop and you have to kind of figure it out. So I'm glad that they were just pretty much cognizant from the beginning that, you know, things were repeating. I also do wonder if they thought that they were going to premiere, they being the series, was actually going to have its season premiere on February 1st. Just because, I mean, it was uh, it is a Wednesday. Um, they, they must have known that they're going to be airing once again on Wednesday nights. So uh, I, I do wonder if they thought the premiere was going to be the first so that it would, like, line up. Um, it didn't, unfortunately, for whatever reason... Uh, the CW decided to premiere it on the 8th, but um, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I was like, oh, it would have been kind of neat to have it actually premiere on the 1st. Uh, at Star Labs, Barry and Iris tell the team about the time loop and try to figure out what's going on. Uh, Barry and Chester go to work on a piece from the accelerator that uh, mirror, that uh, Boomerang was trying to steal. And Barry tells Iris to just go about her normal day, but Iris is weirded out and resists saying yes to Catco's offer. Uh, meanwhile, Barry and Chester are working in the lab, but blow things up, and the loop keeps starting over and over and over. Cycle continues hilariously with seemingly no end in sight. Some great work for Barry and Chester. Uh, finally, Iris gives up and starts day drinking. Uh, I'm not sure that Blueberries pair with Merlot, but you can kind of appreciate her, her point of view there. Uh, Barry thinks that Iris not saying yes to the CatCo offer is the reason they're stuck in the time loop, because the map book says CCM expands into two locations. Seems you know a bit of a stretch on his part. I think it's far more likely the the crazy particle accelerator you were playing with Barry. But hey, you do you. Now the conflict comes open. Iris says she's not going to just follow instructions in the book. She'd rather be stuck in the loop. Barry says the book ensures a safe and happy future. Uh, Jeff, uh, again, this is just sort of you know making the the conflict between them uh, you know uh, more overt. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the scenes how they were playing out because now we're starting to see the idea of going through the loop multiple times. Uh, I loved it when uh, you know when Barry wakes up and Iris isn't there. She's just day drinking at six o'clock in the morning. You know, blueberries and Merlot. Uh, what did you think about that? And also, what did you think about the uh, the many deaths of Barry and Chester? It's five o'clock somewhere, right? They usually mean 5 o'clock in the afternoon, not 5 o'clock in the morning. Well, you know, it's tomato, tomato. But, uh, okay, so once we started to get, you know, a pop song type of situation happening, I was like, okay, we're getting a montage. Because, I mean, let's be real. We've seen so many of these time loop uh, episodes, not just in the Arrowverse, but just period. Whenever some sort of 
pop-ish song starts playing or if, you know, any sort of, like, light instrumental starts playing in the background, you know that we're going to get a montage of many, 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 many loops, different iterations. Usually they're comedic. This time around, they were comedic, but it was at the expense of both Barry and Chester dying uh, each time. Um, so that was a, a nice sort of, like, brief bit of, well, I, guess, I will say levity, even though he was dying. But we knew he was going to be fine. It's a time loop. You know, he's going to die, but he's going to come back, because clearly the time loop was not going to end at, what, like 20 minutes into the episode or 30 minutes into it. So uh, so that was a nice little brief moment of levity, um, because we got into some deeper stuff. Once uh, Iris, you know, sipping on some Merlot, started to drop some truth bombs about the situation. I do agree with you, Professor, that Barry sort of like surmising that just because Iris did not accept the offer, that because she didn't say yes, because he was like, you got to say yes. Whatever happens today, say yes. Um, like, I, I, I too was very skeptical about that. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But we knew what we knew because we stuck around, or at least the camera lingered, and we saw the you know, the purple uh, lightning over the mini particle accelerator. So clearly it wasn't going to be that, but because that led them to have the start of a conversation about, you know, destiny versus free will, um, I, I like that. Uh, I thought Iris really, Candace Patton, she held her own in regards to truly expressing why Iris wasn't, down for that uh, guidebook. Like, she perfectly expressed why she was against it. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a really strong moment for Iris. And let's be real, Candace Patton looked fantastic throughout this episode. Like, I don't know what it is about this hair color, but it, it it's like, it's she looks luminous. And she just looked amazing. Um, expressing herself to Barry. Like, I know it was a serious moment, but I was like, Iris looks fantastic as she's expressing herself to Barry about why she is thoroughly against this book. And sort of like the comedic elements, you know, because that scene was a bit heavy, where she's kind of like swigging the glass around. I thought that was, it was excellent. She She hit the little bit of comedy that she could in what was, I mean, let's be frank, just a really serious moment for the West Allen ship. I think they also did a nice job of, of bringing out that conflict between predestination and free will that we were talking about earlier. Because essentially, Barry is arguing that it's not just that we have this book as a guide. It is that this book, we must follow everything in this book slavishly. He's bringing an almost religious devotion uh, to, to following the precepts of the book, uh, you know, with all the limitations uh, that that entails on them. And I think you were really starting to see that, you know, the, the, the real danger. Because, because as, as I said, uh, you know, early on, you know, you can appreciate Barry's incentive for wanting to keep everyone safe, for wanting to know what's going to happen. The problem with that is you start to think that, well, this is the only way things can work out, which is a point that Joe makes, uh, you know, in the next scene, because we don't have many chances left for fatherly advice from Papa Joe, uh, thanks to Jesse Martin's new show. Uh, but Jesse, but Joe points out to Barry that the book only tells what happens, not why, and it doesn't explain how people feel about it. So even though it's a guidebook, it's not enough. The future is something that has to be created. So Barry goes home to Iris, and they talk. Barry decides to simply appreciate their lives when they're happening, even if that means being stuck in a time loop forever. He throws the map book in the fireplace and burns it. 
So, Jeff, is this the end of the map book? Is this the end of Barry's attempts to control things uh, and, you know, to protect people by controlling things? Or, you know, Barry did write the book after all. Presumably he still remembers some of it. Well, I have an answer, but it goes into something that happens later. So this is what I'll say. Okay, so Barry, his motivation throughout this entire episode, truthfully, is him trying to deal with and cope with the traumas that he has experienced throughout this series' run. And let's be real, even pre the series, you know, with his father being incarcerated, his mother dying, and all that kind of stuff. This is a shoulda, coulda, woulda type of situation for me, because I wish over the course of this series' run that he would have befriended a therapist that knew he was the Flash. Like, I don't know if there is a well-known psychologist or therapist or someone who maybe is also a superhero in the DC universe, not Harley Quinn, but um, like someone else that could, that that's actually like a good character or maybe it's a bad character that in the Arrowverse is a good character. But I wish that he could have been seeing someone throughout this entire series is run, not just the, the family therapist that he saw for a moment, but someone that he could have been truly honest with, that he's the Flash, and that these are the traumas that he's dealing with. Because, you know, a lot of what motivates Barry, period, and, and a lot of it is what we discussed earlier in this episode, is like his traumas, like the weight that he feels. Um, I, I think he really needs professional help. And unfortunately, I don't feel like he's going to get it. So, you know, hopefully this big bad helps him with dealing with some of his traumas because this man has seen and lived through a lot. So I completely understood why he was like holding on to that safety blanket, that security blanket that was the book. Unfortunately, he burned the book, but they did a time loop. You know, that wasn't like the final loop. If it, if it had been the final loop, it would have been burned permanently. So I feel like it still exists. Ah, uh, good point. Yeah, so unless, you know, if they want to, you know, if, if Eric Wallace wants to forget it, if this was like the MacGuffin of the episode that led to, like, the major exposition and that sort of thing, if it was used for what it was used for and we never see it again, that's fine. But because it was in the loop, it's going to survive, just like that smelly sock on the desk. So, uh, yeah. If Barry's going to be logically consistent, the first thing he should do when he wakes up at 6 o'clock is throw the book on the fire. Exactly. Every time. So Iris and Barry wake up for yet another Wednesday, February 1st, but this time they spend it together. Iris decides to expand CCC Media in her own way. She gets a loan from Sir Dearborn to buy the Coast City Gazette. Thank God the Coast City Gazette is not like the Coast City Chronicle, or it would be CCC Media buying CCC, which it's just insane. <laughs> uh which means, interestingly enough, hmm, wasn't this the day when the Central City, uh, when the CCC media was supposed to expand? And didn't it expand even though Barry didn't have it happen the way he thought? Hmm, interesting point. Mm -hmm. uh, with that settled, Iris and Barry go to just decide to just go relax and spend some time together at the pool. Then they go see Kramer together, with Iris saying she'll keep Barry balanced between work and the Flash. So Kramer agrees to recommend him as director of the lab. Hmm, just like the map book said would happen, but not the way he thought. This time, when Mercer attacks Barry, Iris steps out of the shadows and shoots him. I laughed out loud and she does. that several times. Candace Patton with a big-ass gun yes. is one of my favorite things. We'll it's kind of like there. Lynn with the shotgun over on Black Lightning. Oh, very much, yes. 
Um, it's, it's a shame Dimitri couldn't be here because I'm sure he would love to give Candace Patton some love for this sequence. Uh, the big ass gun, the pool scene, all of that. Um, Iris dealing with CCC media on her own terms. Um, but, uh, Jeff, in the absence of Dimitri, you'll have to fill in. Uh, how great was Candace Patton in this scene? Fantastic. Period. Point blank and the period. What I wanted to say before, but you hadn't gotten there, so I couldn't say it, is the fact that everything did happen as the guidebook said, just not in the way that Barry thought it needed to happen. So in a weird way, the guidebook is kind of happening just on, almost like on the character's own terms versus in this, you know, magical, mystical, uh, you know, we must find, we must um, subscribe to everything that the guidebook is saying in in a certain particular way. Uh, there is free will, sort of. I mean, there's free choice. You know, because this time around, Iris chose the way she wanted to do it. But at the end of the day, it was sort of like in in a predetermined kind of way. So maybe we will be getting some more conversations about destiny versus free will as the season progresses i kind of think that barry and iris were actually someplace exotic we didn't really get like a like a panned out sequence but because of the tropical drinks i was like did they go to like mexico or someplace like it felt to me like yeah that they'd gone someplace well they certainly weren't you know going out in a pool in vancouver in uh, in february (laughs) so there is that. So I was like, okay, look at him. Um, I like the idea of him, like, whisking her away to exotic locations. I mean, we had another episode, like, I think maybe last season or the season before, where he, you know, whisked her away to, like, Paris or something, or he had brought, you know, her favorite desserts from across the world. So, like, I feel like that's something that they don't do as often. So uh, treating Iris to, you know, at least an hour or two at an exotic location where they can just be themselves and breathe was really nice. The concept of them doing everything together was, was different and, uh, and really unique. Like I liked it because at the end of the day, they are each other's lightning rods. So it made sense, you know, after what we saw earlier in the episode, sort of like the hint that both of them were connected with the time loop and and in in um in a way they had to be kind of like in sync with what they were doing all of that was expressed in a really neat way iris with the huge gun she seems to just always shoot everybody like she she shoots at the big bads a lot i was worried for uh this brand new captain boomerang i'm like is she gonna murk him um he, he didn't but it was a neat little moment also in the back of my mind, I'm like, so the Flash is there in, like, broad daylight in the middle of the street with, you know, CC, C, 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 media conglomerate person, Iris West Allen, and she's got a big-ass gun, and, like, nobody's questioning any of this. And then at the end, they, like hug and he like loudly said oh mrs west allen oh mr allen (laughs) like part of me is always like why do y'all do this like it, it always makes me laugh because it seems so absurd because hello she doesn't even have a mask on like people can recognize her and like why is she canoodling with the flash is there no like um 
like like uh, tabloidy type of journalism. Maybe they don't have that in, in Central City, but like you know, a paparazzi should have been snapping that picture, and they could run with the headline. You know, is Iris West Allen cheating on uh, uh, cheating on her husband with the Flash? <laughs> like you know, I don't know. It was it was a little ridiculous, but but it, I don't know. It, they do that all the time. That I'm I just now sort of um, you know laugh in the back of my head whenever they do something like that on the Flash. Yeah, I noticed that scene, too, and I'm, you know, the first to complain about that. Uh, this is pure headcanon on my part, but my argument would be that, you know, knowing, you know, what was going to happen, Barry got there like a millisecond earlier and removed all the bystanders. Oh, okay, that works. Because it was a fairly vacant area. Um, so, again, that's that, that's pure. But, uh, yeah, it, it bugged me as well because I've, I've often talked about, you know, the problem that, you know, uh, you know, people are just talking about their superpowers in public. It's, you know, it would be like me talking about my superpowers on a podcast. That would just be, oh, dear God, tell, tell oh. me you weren't recording that. No, I wasn't. Um, and one little thing I wanted to mention I, that I loved in the uh, the Barry and Iris, uh, you know, spending the day together uh, scene was uh, the scene in the pool, not just because Iris looked fabulous in her uh, bathing suit. Uh, shout out to Dimitri. But, uh, you know, when when Barry swims up to her, did you see me do the cannonball? Did you see me? Did you see me? Yes. Yes, I saw it, dear. It was it was like any mother at the pool with a five-year-old. <laughs> yes. It was did just, uh, yeah, it was very funny. Uh, unfortunately, the best laid plans aft gang a clay, and Boomerang still sets off the explosion. This time, Barry phases the explosion, allowing it to pass harmlessly through Central City. I don't buy the physics, but they had to get out of this somehow. I'm also a bit disappointed that that namaste lady we saw survived, uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's just my issue. Uh, perhaps the biggest impact of the explosion was that after surviving, Allegra and Chester had their first kiss with the inevitable awkward moment afterwards. Jeff, you are a hopeless shipper. How did you like the resolution of the loop and the fact that the Chester Allegra slow burn seems finally to be heating up? I have no idea what the hell that man did. Um, like, I understood sort of what he was doing, but I have no idea what that man did. Like, he grabbed onto the mini accelerator. It literally went kaboom. Like, everybody felt the kaboom. But it was, like, it was, like, dissipated so much that it was just like smoke, I guess. Like it was. He phased so... it. He phased it. It would be no different. You know how he can phase himself through things and and phase things. He when phased he an entire he nuclear phased explosion. The entire nuclear explosion. Yes, that's that's the only explanation for it. Okay. I mean, if he can do that, then whomever this big dad is, he should have no problem with them because that was skill. Um. He and like the whole. It was just. It was a lot, but it's a season premiere, so I guess they had to, you know, start off with a bang, and they did literally. Um, that it was fascinating, but completely unbelievable. But this is a comic book show, so uh, we have to do the suspension of disbelief. But there was a lot of disbelief coming from me watching this because I was like, "What exactly is going down?" And and yes, Namaste Lady was fine. Um, and she did a little namaste before, and then she had the little whoosh, and then she did the namaste afterwards, because she was grateful that she could namaste. And, uh, shout out to the LGBT representation, um, that we had, uh, as one of the, or two, I should say, of the Central City Citizens. <laughs> that sounds strange, because that's the name of the, the company. And then, uh, so the shipping. This was a long time coming. Like, it took us... A bajillion years to return to this podcast you know it, it has been 
it feels like it's been almost a decade since we haven't talked about this show. So it feels like it's been two decades since we've been talking about the fact that clearly Chester and Allegra have a thing for each other. And they've almost said it, and they've almost acted on it, and then they didn't. And then they almost, and they didn't. And they almost, and they didn't, and they almost, and they didn't. And so they finally did. And it was a kiss. It was a good kiss. Um, it rivals the West Allen one that we got in this episode as well. Like, we had some good kissage in this episode. And then, yes, of course, they did the whole, you know, because the music came on. And so it was like the whole, ooh, now we're shy. What did we do? Did that really happen? If we do this dance for, like, another five episodes, I might pick up my television and throw it out the window. Just because, come on, y'all are grown-ass humans. Both of you are damn near 30. Like, y'all are not in high school. Please get it together. You guys had an amazing kiss. Go out on a fucking date. I'm just saying. I mean, if you end up doing the F word during the day, that's a whole... You're, both of you are consenting adults, but that sort of thing. But go out on, at least on a date. Like, go to, like... I don't know. Uh, not jitters. Like, go to an actual restaurant and get romantical. Because this has been a long time coming. Uh, the date is saved. Uh, yay. yay. Uh, and February 2nd finally comes. Yay. Uh, Boomerang still got away. Boo. And Joe realizes there must be a partner somewhere, the brains to Boomerang's brawn. Barry and Iris plan to spend more time together, and Cecile's learning to control her telekinesis. But Joe is still uneasy and tells Cecile he thinks they need to leave Central City. Jeff, we knew Jesse Martin wasn't going to be full-time this season. But the thought of Joe and Cecile actually leaving Central City took me completely by surprise, and I'm not a fan. I love both characters. I'm really hoping we don't lose former assistant uh, district attorney Cecile Horton from the team, and I really hope we don't lose Danny Nicolette from the show. I think she's been, you know, uh, you know, a, a great addition. Uh, you know, watching her, uh, you know, deal with her powers. You know, the fact that she was the one to actually say the words Groundhog Day uh, when they were talking about time loops. Um, uh, I, I, I'm and no one a reacted nervous to that. Come on, if people. this means we're not going to get as much uh, Danny Nicolette, uh, how do you see this playing out? And no one reacted to the Groundhog Day reference. I'm like, come on, people. Do you not know your pop culture? I mean, well, it's like someone was saying in the, the movie Live, Die, Repeat. You know, why didn't Tom Cruise just say, it's like Groundhog Day. Everyone knows that reference. Exactly. It's canon everywhere. Um, yes, keep up with your pop culture. Even if you haven't seen it, you should know the concept. But anyway. Uh, okay. Oh, really quick about Allegra. I completely, I mean, we noticed that she is a petite woman, but it was incredibly evident when she kissed... Uh, I don't want to call him Chuck, uh, Chester. I was like, oh, gosh, she's a tiny lady. But anyway, speaking of other tiny Well, ladies. she's often – she's usually with uh, Danny Nicolette, who is also tiny. Uh, yes. And Candace Patton, who's not you know, an, an overwhelmingly tall person either. But, yeah, when you see her standing next to – it's like when you see Danny Nicolette actually standing next to Jesse Martin. Right. Uh, then you suddenly realize, oh, my god, this is, this is a forced perspective thing. Yes, I noticed that in this episode as well when they were doing the thing with the football when she's trying to get her carry on. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I was like, oh, okay, thanks for reminding me. All right, I don't know if I like this storyline. Um, it's the final season, so we're stuck with it, but in my mind, I wish that they would have written it that, like, Kramer, you know, needed his expertise in some sort of case that maybe would have tied into the big bad or something, and that's why he had to go away to, like, I mean, we mentioned it in this episode, Coast City or some shit. Like, I think that would have been much more interesting. But this whole thing of, like, 
I am Cisco now, and I'm using Cisco's, you know, uh, excuse for leaving the series, is, like, we've already saw, seen this with Cisco. Like, Cisco is like, I don't know if I can be a superhero anymore, and I need to leave, and so I'm going to go to, like, the other coast and live my life outside of the superhero type of thing. That's basically what Joe is saying. Like, we have seen so much, and I've lived through a lot, and you're getting more powerful, and I'm very scared for what this means for our future, so we need to leave the city. And I guess the way that they're going to get rid of him, in air quotes, for a couple of episodes is that he's going to go maybe to another city to look at houses or something. You know, maybe that's what the storyline is going to be, and that's the excuse, in air quotes, as to why Jesse L. Martin is not present in this in those episodes. And, of course, uh, Cecile will, will be the one giving the Papa Joe-style pep talks to people. But which she's done before, and she's done them fantastically because I mean it's the same writers. So I mean, they're, if they're going to write a really good speech for Papa Joe, they will write a fantastic one for uh, Mama Cecile. But I don't know if I fully like how they're doing it. Like if at the end of it all, it's going to sh- be like Joe and Cecile move away from Central City. I mean, stuff like that does happen in the real world. Like, not everyone stays in the same city for all of their lives. But um, my hope is that they don't, just because, you know, Barry and Iris are going to be having kids. And I believe, you know, it has been said that that's the house where the kids, you know, are. You know, what did they say? Uh, uh, who was it? Bart chipped the tooth or something? I in think that it was or Nora. Uh, so, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know where the storyline is going to go. But uh, I'm like, okay, they're sort of like setting the seeds for why Jesse L. Martin isn't going to be there. Although, I, I will just reiterate it, I would have preferred, you know, Kramer asking him to go do something, you know, top secret. And that's the reason why we won't see him for a few episodes. Yeah, I, I have to think, you know, and again, you know, a matter of, you know, trust with the showrunner and the writers that, you know, may, we will have to get a better explanation of this next episode. Uh, it can't just be that Joe disappears. It has to be, you know, there has to be a heart to heart between Joe, Barry and and Iris where, you know, we get a little more explanation as to why he thinks leaving is the best thing. Because, you know, up, in, you know, for the past nine years, uh, you know, he's been perfectly content to stick around. There, there's no nothing that's changed significantly. That would justify, you know, leaving the city unless we find out something uh, that uh, that we didn't know before. But uh, I mean, they they did telegraph it, and I mean, we know why they're doing it in reality, which is that you know Jesse L. Martin you know, has another show. But uh, boy, I just really hope uh, we don't lose uh, Cecile as well. And uh, the problem is, if if you know, and if if they're going to do this, and I speculated that you know, if they do this you know, this last 13 weeks in effectively real time, you know, each week is a week of, of real time so that by the end of it, we get to three months and then the pregnancy, but then it's okay. Cause yeah, as you say, Joe could be out looking at houses or something like that. You know, there wouldn't be time for them to actually move out of the city and start a new life. Uh, you know, it would just be a line about, uh, Hey, Cecile hear from Joe. Yeah. He's looking at houses over in wherever. Um, so I think they could finesse it that way, but I still think either way, we need a better justification for why Joe is making this decision. It's, 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 it seems out of character. 
That um, especially if he knows that. Oh wait, go ahead. Especially if he knows the grandkids are coming. You know, like, wouldn't he want to be around for the grandkids? Yes, and that could be another good way to bring in some sort of expositiony cameos. Oh, oh, Joe's looking houses in Star City. Uh, Diggle is meeting him there to sort of show him around or something. Sure. Um, the time loop may be over, but the episode still has a couple of stingers. Uh, Barry goes into the lounge at Star Labs, having received an alert from Caitlin's phone. However, the woman who greets him is not Caitlin, nor is it Frost. It's someone else entirely. And we know this because Daniel Panabaker now has blue highlights. Uh, she says she's sorry to meet him <laughs> like this, but she'll explain everything. Jeff, I'm sure Dimitri is just happy that Frost is gone, but it looks like we've lost Caitlin as well. Uh, which is a bit surprising. You know, Caitlin, likes Cisco, you know, OG Team Flash, has been there since the beginning. Uh, it looks like she's not going to be around for the end. Uh, any thoughts on this new character? Uh, just a little, you know, production note. I was reading that, you know, the reason why they did it like this was that they didn't know Daniel Panabaker was going to be coming back. She was pregnant last season and there was, were questions. So when they had her go into that cryo chamber uh, to, to restore Frost, remember when it opened and, uh, and, and Mark looked in and goes, who are you? Uh, you know, the idea was that, you know, they were thinking they were going to have to recast the characters, that this would have been an entirely new character. But then Danielle Panbaker decided to come back and got oh, blue yeah. highlights. Yeah, that's interesting. I was about to say, you know, maybe, you know, she had been binging all of uh, Countess Valentina de Allegra de Fontaine. Is that the right? Did I say it right? Uh, I, I've just the countess. Okay. Yes. I, I was like, maybe she's been binging a lot of her appearances in the MCU and that's why she got the idea for the highlights. But, um, the look is nice. Clearly, um, less time in the sort of like the, the makeup chair department, that sort of situation versus a frost type of thing where, you know, she has to get fully frosted out in glam, so less time to get together. So props to Danielle Panabaker. <laughs> I'm sure she's incredibly grateful for that. I don't know if any of this is comic book oriented, like or comic book accurate. Like I don't know if she's playing just another icy character from the comic books. I mean, clearly Icicle has already been taken. So is is there another ice named? Uh, villain hero anti-hero in, in there the there's there's plenty of them but I, I really hope they don't go to that well again i mean we've had enough uh, of the ice and the puns and also you've got mark who can be chill blaine um you know give her some other power and you know again with that uh, interview that uh, i read with eric wallace he was saying that you know whoever this character is that uh daniel panabaker is playing will be absolutely critical uh to uh to the final battle of the season Okay, well, that's good. Uh, well, she came out of a cryo chamber, so I'm assuming she has ice powers. <laughs> I like the way that Danielle Panabaker is playing her. Um, it, it was, like, interesting. I don't know if I necessarily needed the, what felt like a 20-minute lingering shot on her face when he was like, well, who are you? And she just, like, stares and kind of smirks. And I'm like, are you not going to tell us? Like, you know, like. They're, this is like way too long. Like I just need maybe. Jeff, a... they paid good money for those blue highlights. I guess when you pay money like that for blue highlights, you want those highlights to linger on the screen. That is true because they could have just done a flash to her face, and then like the episode would have ended. Um, because like she wasn't going to say anything. You know, it's the end of the episode. We need to, um, you know, question who this woman is. Um, as far as yeah, as far as like Caitlin not being a part of the final season. That kind of 
bums me a little bit just because like we know and we love Caitlin for the most part, I would say like we enjoy the character. So seeing, even though it's the same actor, seeing a different interpretation uh, of the character, I mean, because at the end of the day, she went into the cryo chamber, so it, it's Caitlin's body, so she's just now whatever she is. Um, I, I, it's a little bit disappointing that we aren't going to have Caitlin for the final stretch of uh, these episodes. I am fascinated by whatever it is that Danielle Panabaker is going to do with this character, so I need a big download as to who she is. It's kind of giving me a little bit of what they did over on Black Lightning. You know, unfortunately, you know, it ended up being the final season and so Oh god, I'd forgotten about that. Oy. Yes. But it was a different actor and so it it's a different situation. Um it's not like as if China and McLean would have appeared and and um playing a, a different iteration of herself. So that's kind of a it, it is different but similar to what they're doing here. Um, it kind of, uh, so I, I am, um, I'm holding out on giving my full opinion until we actually understand sort of like the gravity of the situation, you know, exactly what's going down, but I am intrigued by it. What about you, professor? Do you have any theories as to who she could be? None. Uh, fun fact, while I have been decrying spoilers, I actually thought to myself, I know what I'll do. I'll go on to IMDb and look at the cast list for the upcoming episodes and see what her character name is. Daniel Panabaker is not listed in the cast for any <laughs> upcoming episode. I, I mean, I now know in exactly which episode all the guest stars will be coming in. Oh, that's and I know nice. who all the guest stars will be. But no, they, they left Daniel Panabaker's name off. She is not listed anywhere. Is she in the opening credits? I didn't I, like. I noticed. Oh, that I didn't even Joe. think. Look at that. Probably, I noticed the puppet show. Um, actually, okay. I think I've got it on my tablet. I'll take a look at it uh, afterwards. But uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's a good point. Yeah, Papa but, Joe's not yeah. in it. Chill Blaine no, is. No, Chill Blaine is. Yeah. Which that was surprising. I was like, okay, he's a series regular. Well, we knew he was a series regular, but uh, oh, okay. Yeah, congratulations. We're, you know, it, it's our last season, and we're only getting thirteen episodes. But you're a regular. The episode ends with Captain Boomerang delivering the battery to his unidentified partner who supplies him with fresh boomerangs and tells him the next target is a who, not a what. Jeff, wouldn't it be more fun if we didn't know Javicia Leslie was coming back as an alternate form of Brian Wilder? What are you expecting from her return? Yeah, I mean... Especially yeah. think about it, if we didn't know that and we just saw the red bat. Electrified. Yeah. I, it would have been, but no, we know it's going to be her. We know she's the Red Death, et cetera, et cetera. It just, it, it's, uh, it just takes so much of the fun out of it. It does, and I don't know how this works in the Arrowverse, just because I don't think Barry knows Ryan Wilder. So it's not like it's some sort of... They don't have, like, an emotional connection. They don't have a bonding connection. They don't have... I don't believe they have a working relationship unless they're going to retcon that, you know, they've gone on missions together and maybe we'll get flashbacks, sort of like new flashbacks of moments where Barry and Ryan Wilder connected. But, um, like, I don't know anything about the comic book iteration. I just know that in the comics, uh, Red Death has appeared as like a Batman character to um to the Flash. 
So I I would assume that in the comics, like, they had some sort of connection. And, and I don't feel like that exists in the Arrowverse. Like, he had worked with um, Kate Kane. But I don't think he has... Because remember, we had the flat... The, what was it? Whatever the hell it was last season. But then that got retconned. So um, all of that was erased. And, uh, and that connection that uh, Ryan Wilder had basically with iris was erased as well so yeah i i I don't know i don't know what this means i do want to see javicia leslie again i was kind of hoping that when it was announced that she would be back it would be her as ryan wilder yeah me too yeah so that we could at least get a catch-up you know what have you been up to ryan wilder type of situation um i wonder if ryan wilder Okay, I wonder if Javisa Leslie will be playing the physical um, human, in air quotes, iteration of Red Death. But we will also see her playing Ryan Wilder, teaming up with Barry to take down Red Death. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if you have a better explanation as to what the hell is going on, Professor. But am I right to say that in the comics there was an actual connection between the Bat character and and uh, uh, the Flash that is, at least so far at a surface level, seems lacking? Uh, yeah, are you familiar with the, 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 the original Flashpoint uh, Paradox, uh, the animated version of the comics? I've read about it. I haven't seen it. Um, anyway, in, 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 and it's, it's the classic Flashpoint that you know all the Flashpoints that we've seen have kind of been based upon, which is that Barry goes back in time to save his mom. Um, in so doing, he accidentally creates the Flashpoint universe. Uh, in that universe, um, uh, you know, all the, the sort of things that we've seen, you know, Barry doesn't have his powers, et cetera, et cetera. But the big uh, reveal is that there is a Batman, but it's not Bruce Wayne. It's Thomas Wayne uh, because, uh, you know, as a consequence of, uh, of the, uh, the Flashpoint uh, paradox, uh, it wasn't him that was killed. It was his son, Bruce. So Bruce never grows up to become Batman. Thomas Wayne becomes a Batman much earlier um, and uh, is, you know, he uses guns. He's a drunk. Um, his Joker is actually Martha Wayne. <laughs> um, and uh, oh. he's, he's a very, he's a much, much darker version of, uh, of, uh, of the Batman and actually uh, is the one who kills uh, Professor Zoom. Uh, Zoom was, uh, was taunting Barry and, uh, and, and Batman basically just blew a hole in his chest. Um, <laughs> but anyway, in that, that – and again, the, the whole idea of it was that the Flashpoint universe no longer exists, but somehow comic timey-wimey stuff. Um, uh, this Batman you know, harnesses the power of, uh, of, of, of the Flash, um, and I, I think he, he somehow joined the cosmic treadmill that to, uh, to the Batmobile and, and became the Red Death. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's not a story I'm particularly familiar with. But, yes, there is, you know, canon that it is a, a bat thing. OK, then after hearing that, I have no idea how they're going to make it that Ryan Wilder becomes this. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how they're going to do that. Like, it, it just the way that Batwoman ended its run. None of this makes any sense as to well, why. Well, it could be an alternate universe form of, of Ryan. And, and again, they'll, oh, they'll you know explain what? it on their own way. That would actually be good because that means that finally the Team Flash will have an understanding that the multiverse did sort of survive. It was re- reborn oh, after Crisis because they don't know that yet. Um, 
Uh, what and sorry, just uh, something that that struck me as I was going through every posted episode uh, looking for uh, for uh, Daniel Panabaker's character name. One thing I did find, and I did see the episode in which Javicia Leslie is uh, is listed as returning, um, is that remember we knew that uh, uh, Bloodwork was coming back. Yes, he's in a lot of episodes. Oh, good. Like a lot of episodes. I thought he was just coming in for like you know a three episode arc or something like that, but he is in there. For at least six or seven of them. If that's accurate, because, you know, it's IMDb, um, that sounds exciting. I'm down for that. He was fantastic in the role. You know what I was just thinking, Professor? What if, because of what happened, oh, no. Uh, Well, no, no, no. Now I'm, like, completely disagreeing with myself in my brain. I'll say it anyway, but I don't think it makes sense now. I was about to say, what if what happened on Superman and Lois, I know that's an alternate Earth and that sort of thing, but because what was happening with the Bizarro world, what if they somehow make this red death character a the Bizarro world iteration of... That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, forget it. Mm, yeah, I think I, I, I think they probably... If, if it had been so clearly established that you know superman and lois is that's their own sandbox all you sleazy little arrowverse uh scum aren't welcome to play here yeah uh then i think it might have been a justification but uh no i i think it's interesting and i think maybe one justification for blood work and i agree with you the actor who played him was tremendous uh it might be that you know uh looking for a way to you know maybe this is our ryan wilder who's been possessed by something or or changed by something and they need to save her somehow and blood work is the only one who can do that so that might be oh. a, a reason to bring him back as well. Um, but anyway, before we move on to the MVP section, was there anything you wanted to mention? An Easter egg, a great moment, moment of cringe you'd like to shout out? Well, just to sort of piggyback what you just said, if this is our Ryan Wilder that has been possessed or whatever, taken over by whatever, my hope is that whenever this arc ends, well, number one, if it's our Ryan Wilder, I hope she survives it. Num- clearly because there's a, a major ship on on that show that we want to remain canon, you know, for eternity. So if it is her, my hope is that they're able to cure her, and then maybe we see one or two characters from that show, you know, appear, you know, when, you know, she's rescued and saved and, and uh, depossessed, uh, you know, we can have a nice little moment that will serve kind of like as the ending or the coda for uh, Batwoman. That would be kind of nice. That's just my hope. Like, I hope that not everyone has been announced and we do have a couple of teeny tiny, you know, maybe just one scene cameos that can happen still. Well, you know, they kept, uh, you know, in, uh, I was going to do a horrible spoiler for uh, uh, Black Panther 2. It's been long enough. They managed to keep Michael B. Jordan's, uh, you know, uh, uh, appearance in uh, in Black Panther 2 is secret. So it's possible True. to keep secrets these days. I was surprised by that one. Anyway, it's time for the MVP. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once character's been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Jeff, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, uh, I will go the obvious route. I'm going to give it to Grant Gustin. He was fantastic in this episode from beginning to end. Um, I did not fully agree with him in what he was saying, but he sold it in a very understanding way because of what like everything that Barry Allen has gone through from the beginning to now I completely understood his mindset I know sometimes Barry can be incredibly self-righteous in you know it's my way or the highway type of thing so it isn't something that this isn't something that we haven't seen before but the way that he justified it this time around 
the sort of like the fear in his voice, the worry, the, the, the almost, as you said, sort of like zeality type of nature that he was, um, you know, holding on to, you know, the path, the path forward from this guidebook. Uh, he sold it completely for me. And then when he got the chance to lighten things up, not just, you know, dying multiple times in sort of like slightly comedic ways and then screaming, you know, the, the multiple different yells of Barry Allen in this episode, he screamed differently each time. It was brilliant. Um, and then the lighter moments with Iris when he was pretty much like, you know, screw the world. Let's just focus on you and I. Uh, because of everything that Iris has gone through over the past two-ish, three seasons, Iris has gone through a lot. The And so we haven't seen, like, the romantical moments. And a lot of that was maybe them following COVID compliances and ordinances and that sort of thing. So the fact that we got to see them actually be tender with each other, romantic with each other, and just enjoy each other's company with smiles and hugs and kisses and all that kind of stuff, Grant Gustin played it beautifully. Like, he just did a stellar job in this episode. So he's my MVP. Well, of course, he wouldn't have been as good without his scene partner, so my MVP is obviously Iris. Um, whether it's day drinking, uh, whether it's uh, shooting the bad guys with a giant gun, um, uh, I thought she was really good. I, I think the two of them played off very well against each other. And, you know, the, the thing that tips it to uh, to Iris for me is, of course, standing up for free will. Even if it turns out that, you know, uh, things are predestined, as the Flash writers seem to believe, at least we have the illusion of free will, that we're making the choices for our own reasons, uh, rather than knowing what the outcome should be and choosing them for that reason. So time to rate the episode. Jeff, how would you rate the episode on a scale of 1 to 10 lightning bolts? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Flash Museum. This was a really well-done episode. You know, I, th I think a lot of times, because of just recent history, you know, we, we sort of, um, at times, can anticipate the worst with the Flash, just because, I mean, when they go low, sometimes it's like, ooh. But maybe it's the condensed season. Maybe it's the time that they've had just, just to sort of really think about how they want the season to end. But I thought this was a really strong start to their final season. Uh, we got to catch up with everybody. We got to understand a little bit of, like, the gravity of the situation you know, we got a tease of the big bad. We got a tease of a character that is no longer the same. And I thought everybody did, for the most part, a really good job with the material that they were given. So for me, I'm going to give it, I'm like stuck between two. So I'll split it in half. I'm going to give it a 9.25. I thought it was a really good start for the season. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I thought it was a very strong start. Uh, full disclosure, uh, when I was watching it last night, I, I didn't realize until the end of the episode that my recorder had failed to record the first 10 minutes. So I had to go back and, and watch the first 10 minutes uh, this morning, which made things make a little more sense. So, um, uh, but, uh, you know, having put it all together, still a little bugged by, by the Joe decision. I don't think we got enough justification for that. Um, uh, but yeah, I agree with you. It, it was nice to sort of get caught up. 
uh, to be moving things forward. And and as I said, I think, you know, they have introduced the big arc for Barry, which I expect to be his emotional development and his realization that he can't save everyone. Uh, I think they're definitely putting in place that, uh, you know, last episode, uh, you know, Iris will be, will be pregnant. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, so I think the pieces are in place. Um, uh, so, I, you know, I, I liked it, maybe not quite as much as you, but I'm going to give it an 8.75, just give it one half less than you did. And, of course, Dimitri isn't here to give it a three. Join right. us next time for the brand new installment of The Central City Citizen. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Central City Citizen and subscribe. Thanks, announcer Jeff. Please wish the listeners good night. Have a good night, Central City. Hopefully your recurring nightmares uh, are, are gone because, you know, we got out of that time loop. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to The Central City Citizen by Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Friday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Good night. I think the one thing I forgot to say was clearly based off of the red lightning at the end, the red death is 100% involved in Barry's nightmares. Oh yeah, I mean you saw the 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 red flickering around their eyes when they were dying. Yeah. <laughs>